Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 99. In today's episode, I get to re-interview Billy Perkins. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to hear what The Hawk and the Hummingbird is all about, as well as when we can expect to start reading Billy's long-awaited book. Alrighty, guys. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line today, I have Billy Parkins. Billy, talk to me. What is the highlights of your health journey? Ooh, the highlights of my health journey. Oh, I think that the. Uh, I think I'm still exploring what the highlights are. You know, uh, one of the biggest highlights of my health journey has been. Um, changing my relationship to food and that's a constant daily practice um another aspect i think of my health journey that i'm constantly practicing is i guess just exploring what does it even mean to be healthy you know i think that that's such a you know physically healthy mentally healthy emotionally healthy spiritually healthy (laughs) financially healthy you know i think there's so many aspects to health that it's easy and i find myself getting really hyper focused on one element of health and then the rest of them kind of decrease so is there one that you're specifically focused on right now you know i think right now the things that i am most focused on are the creative aspects to health which i think is comes out in the form of expression, you know, um, as well as I'm also working on uh, the physical aspects of health in regards to uh, preparation. I registered for uh, a, a marathon. You know, I turned 40 next year. And Boston is the race that uh, I think a lot of runners see as kind of the, uh, the holy grail, right, of running. And uh, I've never qualified for it. I've never attempted to qualify for it. And this year, that's kind of my physical goal. You so know, what, how, what, what uh, one did you register for right now? Uh, Huntsville, which is in Utah. Huntsville, it's called the Grand Mondi. And it's the second week, I think, of September. All right, very cool. So what, what does that entail? Like, what do you have to do to be able to qualify for Boston then? Uh, you know, the way they set it up is for each age group, uh, you have to hit a particular time, and I think it's like three ten for me. You know, my personal goal is to be under that, see how low, how far below three hours I can get, without compromising all the other elements of my health. You know, my strengths, right? Risking uh, injury. Um, that's a tricky thing, you know. I mean, uh, I think uh, sometimes, you know, I've I've experienced in my past when I was racing more competitively triathlon and and whatnot, um, I sacrifice a lot of my power and strength and physique in the name of speed and endurance. And so now I'm having a retrospect. 
I'm saying, okay, how can I go into this in such a way that I can maintain power and strength and my physique and build my body up um, from the inside out? And how can I run? How can I care about running without being concerned? If you wouldn't mind, expand upon that, uh, that concept a little bit, please. It's an interesting concept. You know, um, it's something I heard Matt Kahn talk about. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Matt Kahn. He's a spiritual teacher. Um, but he threw that phrase out there, can you care about something without being concerned about it? And it's one of those things I've been chewing on for months now because I've, I've had that idea in my head, but hearing him articulate it in that phrase made me go, oh, that's what it is. And so if I look back at, at my past experience, and I'll just use running as an example, caring kind of gets hyper um, extended and it turns into obsession in some ways. So now it's not just, oh, I'm going to go out run and I'm going to push myself and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to do it because I feel like it brings me pleasure and joy and I love it. I'm going to do it because maybe there's something I need to prove. <laughs> maybe in some way it validates my identity, you know? And in doing so, I lost focus of potentially who I really was as I overly obsess and self-identify with this one thing. And so for me, that's, that's concern, you know, like making myself like literally putting all my attention and energy into an outcome. This is the desired outcome, you know, this is the thing. And so I have to do this crazy, you know, I have to be obsessed with my, macronutrients and my micronutrients and my mileage and my pace and my heart rate and how can I get my ATP to be, you know, <laughs> and that, and for me that, that takes the pleasure out of running and in a bigger picture, it takes the pleasure out of life. You know, um, Julie and I were just talking about this this morning a little bit. Julie's my wife, by the way. And I was thinking, you know, I've noticed, you know, I had a little bit of a personal thing that I've dealt with the last couple of days and uh, in regards to relationships with, with family members and uh, extending to them an invitation to get curious about our relationship, about their life. And, I, and I've noticed this not just with my family members, but other people that curiosity, I think, scares people because what are you going to discover? Right, and so there's. I started thinking this morning as I was uh, making breakfast uh, about an hour ago about this idea. I think that there's these uh, ideas that kind of become like bedrock things in our society that come from nursery rhymes and whatnot. And one of those I believe is curiosity killed the cat. <laughs> the classic right? saying, so yeah, it is a classic. And so being kind of geeky about phrases and words, I'm like, I want to look this shit up. So I got done eating and I started searching. I got on Google and I started searching, you know, like, and it's interesting because if you trace that all the way back, the original saying wasn't curiosity killed the cat. It was care killed the cat and care. The implication of that time frame, you know, in the 1600s or whenever it was care applied worry or concern. So really concern killed the cat. I think that's fascinating. And, and, and so then I have yeah. to ask, you know, so then I get curious and go, oh, wow. So how is my concern killing me? How is my oh, being overly concerned with running? Just as one example. You know, there's many examples. How is being overly concerned with my weight? Overly concerned with my relationship to my wife overly concerned with what my clients think about me what my friends think about over even overly concerned with how i express myself creatively if it's being received or not and all those things you know when i go from caring to concern there's a little bit of a uh, what i experience to be a, a detriment to my health if that makes sense no it, it definitely does um I'm actually very curious about the, the whole relationship part because relationships are something I, I want to just improve upon this year. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I set out to do it in for really three ways for myself. Um, 
uh, relationship, my role as a husband, my role as a father, and then just my role as a friend. And I'm curious because, yeah, I <laughs> I didn't share this with everybody to start off. I, I deleted our first conversation, but we we talked a lot about a lot about different books and just so many things that we've we've both been able to read. I'm curious, Dave, do you have any uh, books or just resources in general on cultivating relationships? Relationship specific books. Um, I feel like I feel like the majority of the books that I read in regard to relationships have been how to um, cultivate a relationship with myself, and so you know. Um, well, in that I, aspect, if yes. you wouldn't mind sharing that, because I think that relationship with self is still going to help identify all of those roles probably and more that I'm almost seeking to improve upon. You know, one of the books I, I like to uh, invite people to read is a book by um, uh, David Hawkins and it's called Letting Go. Uh, I think his most famous book, um, which is the book, Letting Go is the third book that Dr. Hawkins wrote. His first book was called Power Verse Force. And I think, you know, in that book, he maps out kind of the, he was one of the first people to really bring um, muscle testing, right, um, to the holistic or the whatever community you want to call this that we're a part of. And, and muscle and uh, power verse force, he gets into that, you know, uh, and those behaviors that are underlying, you know, and determining who we are, you know. Uh, and his next book, which is a fun book to read if you have time, um, it's called uh, The Eye of the Eye from Which Nothing is Hidden. <laughs> and that book is a, uh, I don't recommend that book to a lot of people. I usually skip over that one. Um, I usually read a page and I sit down and I think about it and I read it, I read it again. <laughs> like literally I've read the first chapter like seven times in a row before I moved to the second chapter. Um, but his third book, I think it's fantastic because it's easily digestible. All the stuff from Power Verse Force is there. And in Letting Go, he really walks you through the phases of uh, transitioning your or elevating your consciousness. You know, and I think that's a great book to get into and to, and it's practical. I think sometimes when you get into some of these like theoretical ideas of relationships and whatnot, well, that's great, but what the hell do I do with it? And I feel like there's a real practical message inside of that. And in the back, there's a bunch of questions and answers from various lectures that he's done. So it's really a really good, um, good book. Now, something that I really stumbled upon these last probably four months now is um, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. Now, Dr. Peterson is a professor at the University of Toronto, and I might be wrong. I'm almost, it could be Ontario, but I'm pretty sure it's Toronto. Um, and he has a lot of really interesting forward thinking in regards to relationships, you know, and, uh, and especially how to enhance and develop the relationship you have with yourself. Um, I like all of Michael Singer's works, you know, um, The Untethered Soul and The Surrender Experiment. I think both of those books have a huge, you know, component of relationship to them. Um, Teal Swan's book, uh, The Completion Process. Teal is a spiritual teacher. Um, had a very interesting history. Uh, her first book, she really gets into that, but her most recent book is called The Completion Process. It's fascinating. You know, talking about like reintegrate. It's more about the reintegration process, becoming a full being again, right? Billy, of even of all these things that you've shared, what has it been that you've worked upon, uh, or what have you taken really from them for yourself, and how has that been able to? Uh, I mean, whether it be just with your relationship with yourself, raising the consciousness that we talked about, like what have been the things that you've really gotten from these? Hmm. the world isn't the way it is the world is the way I am meaning my projection of the world is just that it's mine 
the way people are is the way that I've projected them to be. And I think that's, for me, that 2016, maybe even 2015, maybe, you know, these last two years, that's been a real reoccurring lesson for me of recognizing that these, how much, uh, what I'm viewing, what I'm looking at is really what's on the inside of me. You know, the labels that I put on things, the meaning that I, you know, there's that saying humans are meaning making machines, right? <laughs> and and I find that 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 tend to be true, you know? Yeah, you, you walk in a room and everything means something. Everything has meaning that you've given it to it. And we don't always, I don't always think you recognize subconsciously all the different meanings that are showing up until you sit down and really start thinking about it. But for me, I think diving into a lot of the different things that I like to read, listening to the podcasts that I like to listen to, it really helps me recognize, you know, it goes back to one of my goals in life is to dissolve this phrase, I am. <laughs> you know, what is that even, you're what? You know, you're what? I think last time we talked, you know, I shared with you my favorite movie is Alice in Wonderland, like the yes. original 1950s, right? And I just love it when she's talking to the caterpillar and she says, you know, and he says, who are you, right? <laughs> who are you? And Allison says, well, I don't know. I've already been like seven different people this morning, right? And the more I kind of get clear and the more I'm able to recognize my filters and my conditioning and the meanings that I'm giving to all the things around me, you know, running has a meaning, health has a meaning. My relationships all have different meanings. And the more I can dive into and go, oh, what's behind those meanings? Um, the more I'm able to kind of remove those meanings. And it, and, it, and it comes with a great freedom, right? But freedom's an interesting thing to me. Because, so I just recently closed down our facility in December. Julie and I closed down our space. We decided that, having a 1700 square foot facility wasn't really, we didn't need it, you know? I mean, the way that I serve my clients now is mostly this way through Skype and phone coaching and, and uh, going, to, I go to a lot of my clients' houses, you know, we go for hikes and stuff and get rid of the overhead. If you're a smart business person, you cut all your overhead as quickly as you can. <laughs> we're fortunate to be able to have the business that allowed us to do that. And I, uh, getting rid of my space created this weird emotional reaction in me because it meant something, right? It meant something and it created all these emotions in, inside of me. And, and as I kind of subsided and, you know, moved more into January and, and, and kind of separated from those emotions, I recognized like I am 100% free right now as a business owner to do whatever in the hell I want to do. And it's terrifying. <laughs> There's a certain, you know, I, I kind of, one of my friends and I, um, her name's Allison, and we talk about this a lot because we both find ourselves in a real similar situation that right now I'm free to do whatever I want with the rest of my life, Nick. I have literally more freedom than I've ever had in my life. And yet it comes with this weird paradox of feeling completely paralyzed. We call it the freedom freeze. You're so free to choose, you're terrified to do so. And I think by keeping, you know, those filters, by maintaining some of that conditioning, at least it gives you structure. And for some reason that feels safe, right? It feels safe to be able to have all of these uh, habits in place, kind of like eating, <laughs> it's, you know? When I start cleaning up my eating and changing my eating and let go of uh, satisfying my emotional needs through food, Suddenly, I started having a different relationship. It's like, oh, wow. You know, it was real freeing. But freedom has a, a flip side to it. It's responsibility, you know, and, and choice. Now I have to choose. And that's interesting stuff. To I don't even know what I'm talking about right now, but that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, no, this is, this is I think, is a, a really cool uh, thing to dive into right now. Freedom. Like, you have all of this freedom. So what's next? What what is what do you see on that path 
with your freedom? Uh, the first thing I think that's interesting is um, before I get into what I think is next for me um, is one, I'm working more and more and more on uh, going back to this idea of care and, and verse concern of letting go of uh, a timeline. One of the things that's been happening a lot in my life over the last several months is, and it's if I really sit down and think about it, I think it's probably happened over the course of entire lifetime. But it's this idea of like divine timing. <laughs> Sometimes we call that coincidence. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's really coincidence, you know. Uh, and so I, I just that's the first thing I kind of want to say about what's next. Well. One, I'm letting things just play out. What's in this moment? You know, um, what's in this moment right now? Um, one of the things that I'm working on doing is feeling more. I tend to be a really driven guy. I have this hyper drive. I'm, I can handle it. I can do it. I'll, I'm trying to like scale that back a little bit and be less reactive and more responsive. Um, the second thing of it is trying my best to detach from an endpoint. I think one of the things, you know, that I started to recognize as I started exploring what's next is I want to come up with these really hardcore timelines, right? This this endpoint. I will have made it. I will have been, you know, quote unquote <laughs> successful when I finish my book, when I qualify for Boston, when I, you know, get my wife to stop arguing with me over petty shit, you know? <laughs> There's no, it's moments. Uh, more and more every day I wake up and go, oh, this is the moment I'm in, so let's do it, you know? Um, now, what's next for me? Uh, we've talked about this before. I'm still editing my book, you know? Um, it's been my lifelong, you know, thing. It's, uh, it's, you know, this is an interesting thing to think about. It's kind of going again. I talk in these tangents. I'll come back to it, I promise. I find that when I start listening to podcasts or working with, I have a lot of uh, clients that are, you know, CEOs and, you know, executive type people and stuff. And I talk to them because they're all, I, it's really fascinating. The majority of my clientele is in their fifties, sixties and seventies. <laughs> and so I'm always asking, okay, like universe, well, what am I in these people's lives for? You know? And so I ask them, I get curious. I do my best to coach through questioning, not telling. And I talk to them a lot of, and, and try to absorb some of their wisdom. You know, we're teachers, but we're also students. I think as coaches, you know, and and when I when I inquire to them, you know, about uh, success, and they just always give me these fascinating answers, you know, and and it makes me realize it's such a subjective thing, you know. It makes me realize it's such a subjective thing. Um, and not to get overly caught up in really what's next, you know? Um, I had a point I wanted to make because you asked me something else. I don't know what it was. Well, I'm actually kind of curious. Um, what do you often hear when people are talking about success? What are the types of things that they're always saying or... Oh yeah, you know, show up. You know what the real underlying theme is, you know, that I've kind of was journaling about? showing up you know a lot of the clients that i worked with that have uh have what we would consider wealth or financial success you know um seems like there's a couple key points the first one is show up you know if, if you're not there there's no opportunity you know but if you put yourself in the position and you go to that space that might be a little uncomfortable if you're willing to be you know the weakest link on the chain, eventually you can work your way up to being the strongest link. And another part of, that I hear a lot from a lot of my clients is ask. You know, be willing to ask for what you want. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. You know, one of my clients uh, who recently shared with me, he didn't make his first million dollars until he was like 50 years old. And I said, well, how did you do that? He goes, oh, I asked for it. And he went to tell me about how he was in a deal and he happened to be working. He was just an accountant for these big time, you know, investors in this casino business. And when they said, well, okay, he presented a plan and showed them the problems of these, whatever, like 
really presented something, they were all excited and said, okay, so this is the deal. Write the deal up. How should we split it? And he wrote himself into the deal. He said, how about we split it? You know, well, there's four of us. Let's split it four ways. And he didn't invest $1 in it. He didn't invest. He was just the accountant. <laughs> and he just said that. And they're like, okay, seems fair. It seems fair to us. So he walked out of a meeting with literally millions of dollars, all because he asked. And it, so it, it's fascinating to me. You know, it's reoccurring. You know, those two lessons, I think, are big ones. Show up. Ask for what you really want. What do you really want? I, I don't know that we're really encouraged a lot in society to ask for what we really want. So what do you really want? Freedom to, I would love, here's my ultimate. When I picture like what, what's, what is the thing that Billy really wants? I love to have a home in the Southwest. You know, Julie and I have been looking at different places, Boulder, Sedona, some of these places we love. I love to build an earthship in Sedona. You know, 100% sustainable home. If people aren't familiar with the Earth the ship, I just rec- highly recommend checking them out online. We went and stayed in one in Taos, Taos, New Mexico. They have a whole community. You can stay overnight in it. They'll give you a tour. It is the coolest dwelling I've ever been in. And it's, it's rad. It's not like some cob-built home that's kind of, you see these, you know, um, you know, Greenpeace, like hippies living in, you know, I think sometimes we think of, right. Sometimes I think we think of sustainable and these type of technologies being, Oh, you got to be like a dirty hippie and live in a tent in a commune. No, it's not that way. It's actually an amazing structures, you know, that are just, it's just a perfect fusion of technology and sustainability and nature, in my opinion. So that's, that's a big part of my dream is, you know, I've, I grew up in a very interesting and, uh, uh, in some ways, um, mobile childhood. You know, I've, I've lived in eight states, almost a hundred different places. You know, my parents have uh, nine marriages between them, and so there's this deep part of little, little Billy who really wants a home, who one day really wants a home, and that's a big part of my dream is to build a home, and more specifically, you know, building an earthship with some property and being able to sustainable. But uh, uh, another part of that is is writing. I love writing. You know. Um, I don't know uh, where my writing will take me. It's interesting how it comes out. It's interesting, you know, as I kind of allow myself to commit two or three, four hours a day just purely to sitting down and, and writing. How, you know, I always want to be a non coaching coach, meaning I think there's a way of coaching that allows you to inspire people, pull actions out of people without telling them how to do it. You know, I, I think sometimes as, as, as instructors, we go to courses and they give us this plethora of education. And it's information, really. They give you a plethora of information. But no one tells you how to coach. You, there's a system in place and you can follow the system, but what if you hit something that snags outside of that system? You know, and, and, I, and, and so for me, like, learning, I started recognizing, you know, I'm a storyteller. I think one of my archetypes is storyteller. And I, I want to tell stories. I want to coach through story, right? If, you, if we were to look back to when we used to huddle around campfires, right? How were lessons passed along? They were passed along not through strict program design, <laughs> right? They were passed along through the power of story. And each of us, you have a story, Nick. I have a story. Everyone that we run into, you know, we all have stories. And I believe those stories are kind of the fabric that kind of weave us all together and show us that we're all more similar than we are different. And so I like to use storytelling inside of my coaching with my clients. And I like to share aspects of my story with them with the hope that it replies, it, it affords them or gives them a, a, an honest reflection of pieces of themselves that they can't see, right? And so for me, you know, being able to write allows me to coach without coaching because sharing you know and going through this creative writing process i think we've all had the experience of reading something and going oh man that's screaming at me that's me that's me you know and and i think there's power there i think there's a lot of power there in, in, in making that connection you know um uh, I can't think of Marshall's Rosenberg, nonviolent communication. Are you familiar with Mark? Yep. 
one of the things that he always said that I just loved was, you know, connection before correction. And you could even add empathic connection before correction. And I think as coaches, sometimes we get really quick to want to correct people. And that correction, I, I feel like, can actually stick and have meaning if there's a, a preceding connection. And I believe that we really connect through story. You know, so what do I want? I want to learn how to coach, become more and more of a storytelling coach. You know, I want to have a, a beautiful earthship. I want to, you know, every time I see one, I get a little excited, but I want a Mercedes van. I want to drive that thing around the country, you know, and I want to, and I want to interact the way you and I are interacting, but in person with people, you know, and if that's through sharing my book with people, if that's through, you know, doing, you know, co co-creation, you know, coaching with other coaches at seminars or uh, retreats, you know, those are the type of things I would like to do, you know, if that's what Billy wants. But I'm curious, uh, if you wouldn't mind, I, I, I know we've talked about it previously, but sharing a little bit more about the book because the, the writing is, oh. is part of that. So that everybody kind of gets a taste uh, as, as the editing process uh, hopefully finishes up here that we get to, what, what do we get to check out when it comes out? Well, the basis of my book is interesting. You know, it's a, it's a fictional memoir. <laughs> you know, um, it's a collection of stories that I sort of weave together with this storyline that really are an invest, investigation of, of self. And through getting curious, um, discovering uh, the story behind the stories. And how much of these things, going back to what you were saying earlier, being meaning making machines, how much of the stories in your head are, are real? And how much of those stories were just, you know, stories you put in place because they served you at a particular time? Right? Some of our stories are like cast. We need them at a particular time in our life to heal. The bone's not going to set unless the cast is there. And then the bone sets and we're supposed to cut the cast off. <laughs> and some of us leave the cast on. And we and it's just it's just no longer serving us now. That cast is becoming, you know, making weakening the muscles around that bone. It's actually probably weakening the bone and the restriction and the blood flow that's going. And so, through telling these, sharing these stories, I hope to kind of using that analogy help people start cutting cast off, start really revisiting some of their stories and resolving, and going, oh, I see why I made that story up. Wow. How wise of me to do so. <laughs> I no longer need that story. And, and in some way that becomes sort of this integration process that happens. And so my goal is by sharing through this creative writing, you know, um, through this uh, fictional memoir of mine, sharing myself, I'm hoping that the various stories I share reflect back to the readers and they go, oh, you did that too. I don't have to feel so guilty or I don't have to feel so ashamed about it. You know, I think that's one of the things I really hope that the power of story helps people do is, is remove this like underlying guilt and shame that a lot of us carry around, you know, and, and that takes a certain level of vulnerability, you know, and, and willingness to say, you know, I'm sharing myself, not because I'm getting my emotional needs met out of sharing myself, but because I believe a higher purpose can be served by sharing with you. You know, and it's funny, you know, I, I, I wrote the book and I tried for about seven years to write a book and I just, it wasn't coming. Going back to this idea of divine timing, right? It wasn't working, it wasn't working. I'd write, I'd write, I'd put it away for four or five months and then this voice would wake me up and say, no, you need to be writing. Why aren't you writing? Well, I'm an athlete. Athletes don't write, you know? I'm a personal trainer. I'm a holistic lifestyle coach. I'm a functional movement specialist. I'm all of these things. I'm not a writer. I don't get paid to write, so I can't be a writer. That's a story. Wow, there's a lot of stories in there. And then uh, it, through various aligning of circumstances, you know, the story was able to become the priority. And, um, and now as I edit it, I look at it, and it's like, oh, you know, it's a, you know, the power of intention is like mind blowing to me. <laughs> the power of intention. You know, when I set out to write this, my intention was I want to write a story that is this non coaching. I'm going to coach through, you know, 
through story. I'm going to do this non-coaching sort of book, all right? Because, you know, initially the invitation was from one of my other clients after learning more about my history and hearing some of these stories said, wow, that's powerful shit. Let's write like a manual, like how you became Billy, you know? And I'm not a uh, Tony Robbins, you know, seven steps to success type of human. I don't live my life like that. I don't think I ooze that type of, you know, uh, and initially, I sat down and tried to take all my creative stories and create this book. I'm going to write you how the secret to success. Well, I don't know there is a secret. <laughs> and so it became kind of like a headache, you know. And then when I let go of that and I just started telling stories, right, and I, it, it just is amazing how it came out. But all of that was because I feel like my intention started coming out. I started sharing. And now as I've gone back and I've kind of some of the you know parts of the book, I'm on the third set of edits, right? Third or fourth set of editing. And I'm starting to sit back and go, oh my gosh, I set this intention and then how it just kind of worked its way into the book without my effort. There was all, you know, and I think that's the intention is a really powerful thing, you know? Um, and so now looking at the book, even last night, I was kind of breaking it down and going, oh, I could totally share this. It's going to come off as a creative story. It's going to hopefully inspire some people to consider their life differently but there's also a way to break it down into parts and i can see these various transitions and teaching lessons that are inside of it that keep unfolding with every edit that i do and so in the end i will be able to say oh go read my book and then let's sit down and talk about the processes that are in it that maybe you didn't recognize so it's interesting you know the power of intention is a cool thing you know and uh so yeah so the book all in all, it's a story about stories. It's curiosity. Well, I, I am actually curious about another story because one of the, just another thing that we touched on last time uh, was the story behind the hawk and the hummingbird. Mm. That was just that was a really cool one, and I, I would appreciate if you could share that with everybody uh, where where that came to be. Yeah, that's kind of a multiple part thing, you know. Um, so Julie's podcast, you, you know, we uh, we had this Align brand, and we decided to drop the Align brand. And uh, so for our podcast, we decided, okay, we wanted to come up with a name for our podcast, and we thought about just calling it Billion Jewels and just use our names, and it's not too catchy for marketing purposes, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, then whether we kind of thought we'd play with the idea of BJ, and that kind of might take the wrong turn there too, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, last July, actually, Jules and I participated in our first ayahuasca ceremony. And um, those of you that aren't familiar with ayahuasca, it's, it's plant medicine, you know. Um, and I would invite you to read uh, The Cosmic Serpent. If somebody's not sure what ayahuasca is or they've heard about ayahuasca, um, I think that... Uh, the Cosmic Serpent is a very cool investigation of, of ayahuasca because it comes at it from both uh, scientific, um, societal, um, and spiritual sides. It makes a really cool case for the medicine. Um, but during this you know, um, experience with ay ayahuasca, I actually had a, a hawk come to me. Um, and this brings up this idea of what is real. Because some people would go, oh, that was hallucinogen. It wasn't real, that hawk that came and talked to you. And I would say, well, it was very real to me. <laughs> you know, it was extremely real to me. And, and it went beyond uh, visual and it sunk deeper into my soul as knowing. You know, and, and knowing for me is that thing that you just, I can't tell you. You have to experience it yourself. As much as I would love to be a wordsmith and impress you with what it means to know something sometimes we just got to experience it right and so this hawk comes and he sits in front of me and he says to me you know um you're me you're me and he's looking at me and i'm like what do you mean hawk i'm you we're having this conversation and i'm not talking out loud it's kind of more like a conscious telepathic conversation and he says you know i'm you and i said oh, i don't know what that means and he says you know i'm brown skin and i said oh uh, you're brown skin i don't I don't know what that means. And, and then he kind of brings his face closer to my face. And in that moment, his eyes, um, like a cartoon, 
when you see somebody getting hypnotized, you know, like Khan, if you think of the original Jungle Book and, the, and Khan's eyes would hypnotize people, right? They get like crystal blue, like the most brilliant, like a Hawaii, uh, like a lagoon on the big island, just this magnificent, like crystal blue. And this hawk says to me, you know, you're a hypnotized hawk right now. And your only responsibility in life is to break free from this hypnotic state. And once you break free from your hypnotic state, you will fly again. You will soar to heights that you didn't even know that were capable. And that moved me. That really touched me. And I started noticing after that, everywhere I go, I see hawks. There's just, and, this, and again, going back to this idea of divine timing, these hawks show up with this sort of divine presence. You know, um, and fast forward to that was July. Fast forward to um, November, maybe beginning of November, end of October. And Julie and I went and listened to a, a spiritual teacher. Um, we were invited by a, a mutual friend to go down to Encinitas and listen to a spiritual teacher speak. And during that time, she actually pulled Julie up uh, in front of everybody, you know, and kind of pulled Julie out and was having this like connection. And then out loud, she starts saying, what I see in you is a hummingbird. And it was interesting because before this happened, Julie and I were out taking a walk one day. And I said, what if we call the podcast The Hawk and the Hummingbird? You know? And she's like, okay, I'm listening, right? Because I have a lot of ideas and some of them are solid and some of them are a little bit not solid maybe. And at least that's how it is with our wives, I believe, you know, our partners, however. (laughs) And uh, I said, you know, we could be the hawk and the hummingbird. You know, it it allows us to both, you know, two birds coming from completely different places, having completely different experiences, but yet we share the same thing of being a bird, you know, and and we kind of talked about it and she's like, I like it. It's catchy. It doesn't really, you know, align fitness, sort of pins you into being fitness. You know, the hawk and the hummingbird is kind of airy, doesn't really identify you uh, specifically with one thing, which I think we kind of both liked. But then it was kind of like, okay, we'll sit on that. And it kind of got pushed to the back burner. But then when this woman pulls Julie up in front of everybody and says, and you, I just see this like colorful hummingbird, deceivingly powerful, you know, beautiful and brilliant on the outside, but with this like fierceness inside, you know, and, and it's interesting. So we started reading about hummingbirds and you find like they're fascinating. They're fascinating creatures. They're the only bird that can fly in every direction. You know, and there's some sort of like element to that that feels very spiritual to me, you know. And so we talked about it and Julie said, well, I guess that's it. That's it's been said, you know, we'll be the hawk and the hummingbird. Um, if, I don't know if you listen to any of the episodes of our podcast. We have only put up four so far. Going back to our last talk, I've run into some technical difficulties with the with the hosting site I decided to use. But um We've ironed all that out, and we're looking forward to getting on a more regular schedule. But I attempt during those podcasts to get Julie to refer to me as the hawk. She doesn't do it very often. <laughs> you know, I keep trying to convince her, like, it's good for our relationship. Maybe, like, some, like, role play type of stuff. Like, hey, maybe you call me hawk, you know? Do you call her hummingbird? I, I do. And she just shakes her head, no, we're not going to. I'm not going to participate in your... Uh, your, your bird games. <laughs> now, what is what does the podcast mean to you guys right now? Like, what what are you doing with it? Like, where are you looking to take that? Especially now that you have again that freedom. You know, the podcast for me is a way to share um, what I believe is at the heart of a lot of our messages. You know, we decided to do a podcast because you know, Julie and I are going on um, being together. Uh, six years, five years of marriage, we were together for one. And and it's been a very healing relationship for me. You know, um, in some ways, I believe Julie came into my life to speed up and assist me with my growth and um, reflect back to me. You know, a partner has a good way of helping you see the things about yourself that you don't recognize. Um, Sometimes that's cool. Sometimes it's, you know, like two rams butting heads, you know, but... (laughs) And the male ram coming back going, oh, you were right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, women have a a way of knowing that I think men could learn from, you know. But but ultimately, you know, we would 
our whole life has been about conversation. Our relationship's all been about we get up in the morning, we have tea, and we talk, and we explore, and you know, we go on these long hikes and these walks, and in the evening, we don't own a TV, we own books and board games. And it's been this like deep interaction of questions and answers, and I did this today. Well, what do you think that... And finally, I think we got to a space where we wanted to share those conversations with other people. Because we started recognizing all of this education that I've learned through all the various you know, uh, certifications and courses and, and retreats and stuff that we've both attended. Those were all just tools. I think that the thing that's really allowed me to heal has been powerful conversation and, uh, that I've shared with Julie. And so a couple of our friends that we start bringing into and having these conversations with, you know, said, well, you guys should have a podcast. You guys should talk about this. And we thought, let's try it. Let's go for it. Let's see what happens. And, um, and so that was the purpose of the podcast was a way for us to share our message that felt authentic to us. You know, we had tried to make some videos before and, and that's interesting, right? Cause as a, as a, as a teacher or a coach or an instructor, whatever we want to label ourselves, Sometimes there's feels weird. You spent these tens of thousands of dollars on education, and you kind of feel like, oh, I'm supposed to teach what I learned. But what if you learned what you need to learn for yourself, so that you can coach, not so you can regurgitate it to your client? And I realized that the thing that I want to do is I want to coach my clients on that. On let me share with you what's really been how I've healed myself or how I'm currently still healing all these aspects of myself. And through the podcast, I feel like we're able to do that. We're able to have these like powerful, honest conversations. Um, and there's another side of it that is affordability, right? I think having a podcast is a good way to reach a lot of people and not have to ask them for $1, for one cent, you know? And it, and it opens up an invitation that if, if someone likes what you know we have to say or someone listens to your podcast and likes what you or one of your guests have to say well then the door is wide open they can reach out to us and they can say hey something you said move me cool let's talk about it you know and that opens up the conversation for coaching um in a different way than uh i feel like i've been taught before through marketing schools and classes um because coming from where i come from there was no such thing as a personal trainer or a coach you know, you pay people to work out, like, who, who does that? You know, you pay people, you know, uh, if you were psychotic, you saw a therapist or something, you know, but uh, that was kind of the extent of it, you know. Um, and I feel really um, driven to reach people that are in that survival state that I grew up in, you know. I think that they say 85% of Americans or something crazy like that are in a state of survival, meaning yeah, please share yeah. what that means because I, I don't know that everybody quite has that grasp of like, well, of course we're all trying to survive, but uh, really boil that down a little bit, please. Yeah, so for me, you know, it's interesting because I think we hear this word survival. For a lot of people, it goes instantly to finances, right? And it's true, right? You know, most people are living paycheck to paycheck. I think that, you know, there's lots of documentaries and things you can YouTube and find that show statistically there it's the majority of americans are one paycheck away from their whole financial floor falling out from under them and but if we step away from the finances and we just look at survival you know um, tony robbins one of the things that tony's created uh, that i really like is he kind of has these four layers of like life and he says you know inside of these four different areas you can be in, the bottom row is survival, and then the next row is stability, and the next row is success, and the next row is significance. And for me though, going back to that bottom row, that's, that survival, survival is all about like what, it's instant gratification. What can I do right now to get my need met? And so financial need, you know, emotional, emotional need, um, uh, nutritional need, physical need, sexual need, right? And when you're in survival, there's not a lot of things you won't do to get those needs met. And a lot of those decisions include selling yourself out, meaning 
You know, if I'm a coach and I'm struggling, let's say, for an example, and I want to charge $125 because I believe that's what my worth is, hypothetically. And a client comes along and says, oh, you know, I can't afford it. I'll give you 60 But you feel like you $60 doesn't allow me to be the coach I want to be for you. It doesn't afford me, the, you know. But you do it anyways because you're, you're needy. You're in the survival state. And so instead of sticking to your virtues and this value, you kind of sell yourself out. Say, I'll just take this easy money. But then somewhere that's going to show up as pain or uh, resistance because you're going to potentially, it poses a threat that now I'm going to start resist, you know, resenting this client because I'm doing all this work and they didn't really pay me what I felt like my value was. But we do that in different ways too, right? We say, oh, I'm in survival mode. I'll just eat whatever's cheap and whatever's in front of me. I don't build values around food, right? I, emotionally, you know, if I'm in survival mode, and, I, and I'm not feeling connected relationship-wise to other people, I'm always looking for that next hit of dopamine, right? I, I, how many people like my post? How many people can I make laugh when I walk into a room, right? So I don't have a strength of character. I'm always trying to predict, you know, use my intuition to get my emotional needs met as opposed to showing up and saying, this is who I am, this is how I am. And so for me, that was a big part of like my transition was pulling myself out of this survival state in these various areas. And, and again, going being in this state, there's an interesting paradox. Because the last thing you want to do in my experience when you're in this survival state is, have, is to be virtuous, to have a value in place around how you get your needs met means opportunities are going to show up that you're going to have to deny because they conflict with your value. So right now I have $100. Here's an opportunity to add in another 50, but it conflicts with my value. And for, I believe, to move out of survival and into st stability, I have to be willing to reject that $50 and say, you know what? I'd rather have my $100 in my value and my character and be virtuous in my decision-making than take that money. Because if I accept that money, the repercussion could be being stuck in this perpetual cycle of survival. And so for me, survival is, it's really, it's, it's, it's a, it's a multi-layered you know, state of being where it's all about instant gratification, getting these needs met without value systems in place. And the more that I've personally learned to like create value systems, you know, and it's interesting how the value system kind of expands and swells up. You know, in the beginning, it's like, okay, I won't do that, whatever that is. That goes again. And then slowly you kind of add something to it. Oh, I won't do that and that. Well, I won't do that, 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 and that. And before you know it, you're no longer in survival. You, you sort of unknowingly have like shifted up the pyramid into stability and you don't really know how, how the hell did I get here, Right. And for me, you know, moving out of survival really is a process of not doing, not doing, as opposed to doing, right? Because when you're in survival, there's a pretty good chance you're, you're really fucking overwhelmed. And if I'm overwhelmed, the idea of doing something else, saving money, changing my diet, um, running, lifting weights, you know, uh, meditating, these things are overwhelming. Even though they're good for me, they're still another form of stress or overwhelmment. And so one of the things I invite my clients to do and I invite myself to do when I, is less is more. Let's stop doing some things, create these value systems, and then the next thing you know, it's almost like, whoa, this thing just happens. You know, I, Now I'm in stability. You know? And I didn't really, I didn't try. You know, I didn't follow some rigid plan. I just said, I'm not going to do that. And I stick to it, you know. And then slowly, as you kind of eliminate things, there's, there's more space to add. And then once you've eliminated, for me anyways, I was able to stop reacting and start responding. And responding takes me, takes stillness, right? 
to be able to like truly respond, I find it's a process of stillness. And when you're, people are in a survival mode, they're not very still. <laughs> you know, think about whenever, you know, someone's in a, a state of survival, it's pretty a frantic, chaotic place to be. And as I move further and further from that, I notice that I become more and more still. Instead of being all the crashing waves that are rolling in, I start being the ocean. Right? And way out there in the ocean, it's a little bit more calm and I can just float. Right? And um, so, yeah, yeah, that's kind of, that's the process. And that's what I like to coach people. And that's what I like to talk to people about. You know, that's, that's what I geek out on all day long in my mind. You know, that's what I like to pay attention to. And it's all about, you know, I run with a guy who's a, a marketing guru and has his own marketing business. And so I get like, fortunately, I get some free coaching, <laughs> you know, every Saturday and Sunday when we do our morning runs. And uh, again, by asking, <laughs> asking his advice and, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's fascinating all the, the, how much awareness is a part of marketing and being aware, you know, being aware of who you are, which, what are the descriptive words, what are the emotives you want people to, to use when they're thinking of you, you know? And, you know, one of my clients uh, recently said to me, and it felt like a huge compliment, um, yeah, you, you really are teaching me how to think differently. Right, and I believe that's what that's what um, we, you and I, and you know, people who are, are powerful healers. We're not just coaches or instructors or therapists. We're healers. We're here to heal. We're here to bring a certain level of healing to the the world. And how we do that is unique to who we are, you know. But to help people think differently, man, that's empowerment. That's empowerment. You know, that's that's an empowering process because. I didn't give you a plan. I didn't give you something. I didn't guide you. I didn't make you dependent on me as a coach, right? I helped you to think differently. That will always be with you. My services might go away. I might decide one day I don't want to coach anymore. Maybe I just want to write. Maybe I just want to write and farm in my little earthship, you know, and, and be Julie's housewife, you know? And, uh, but if I help all those people between now and then think differently, what a cool gift to give someone, you know? So it's cool. It's cool. And that had something to do with survival. <laughs> well, Billy, I, I, I want to say uh, first, thank you for, for that gift of uh, just helping me to think differently, uh, especially about uh, coaching and conversations. Uh, those are the two that are kind of sticking out with me there. Um, I mean, the hour is flying by on us here. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I want to just kind of, in closing, like, where can everybody find more about you? What you're working on? Uh, when to maybe even uh, expect the book coming out? Uh, where to check out the podcast? All of the above, please. I think right now the best thing uh, you can do is you could go to um, our Facebook page, which is The Hawk and the Hummingbird. You could find us there. If uh, somebody's listening and they feel like, moved or connected just they could send me a facebook request you know um billy perkins um we also have a website we're in the process of kind of uh changing the brand and so our website is energetic being i n n e r g e t i c energetic being like human being um dot com so they could find more uh, about julie and i um, there, the podcast is there, our blog's there, you know, our services are there. Um, and then outside of that, um, Spreaker, Spreaker.com. We have, uh, they can find the hawk and the hummingbird through Spreaker.com. If they just go on Spreaker and they search shows, just put in the hawk and the hummingbird and they'll find us. And they can find our podcast via the Facebook page and our website as well. Um, so those are probably the best ways to learn more about me uh, that that is that is uh perfect closing uh everybody make sure go check these things out see how you're going to think differently today tomorrow just by all that uh both the hawk and hummingbird have to share with you so billy again thank you so much for this talk this has been uh a 
really just I'm still racking my brain on a lot of things uh, and really making me think differently uh, about certain things in my life. So I just want to say thank you so much for that. Yeah, thanks for letting me be here, Nick. I appreciate this. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you.